Episode number 12. Today on the Artist of Motion podcast, we feature a man who legitimately holds rank in more styles than I have time to list. How can one person earn so many accolades and studies? Well, it's easy when you're Joe Ribello. He's got a 162 IQ, a photoidetic memory, and his life is the martial arts. So instead of me telling you his story, let's just get to hearing from Joe himself. Here we go. Welcome, everybody, to this edition of the Artists of Motion podcast. Today, my guest is Kepo Joe Ribello. He's back for our second attempt at getting this one done after some technological difficulties the first go-round. He is the owner and head instructor of Ribello's Kepo Karate in New Bedford, Massachusetts. He's the host of Martial Arts Today TV, who has featured more guests than we have time to cover today. He possesses a photographic memory and has been training in martial arts for over 40 years, and he's recognized in multiple lineages of martial arts with advanced black belt degrees. He's also a member of several martial arts hall of fames. Joe has one of the largest collections of martial arts patches going today, and an extensive video and print library on top of that. He is known in the Kempo community as a martial historian, and we're really glad to have him back on the show today. How you doing, Joe? Doing good, doing good. Thank you for inviting me to the show. I'm glad we can reconvene here. We had the technical difficulties on the first go-round, so we got it squared away and we're ready to do this. No problem whatsoever. More than happy to help. I really do appreciate it. So let's do the curriculum vitae piece first. So let's give us your background. Where'd you start? Where do you, what'd you train in? Where are you at today? All that fun stuff. Sure. Um, I started almost 50 years ago. It's going to be 50 years actually this October. Um, I was seven years old and I was uh, doing father-son horseplay with my dad. And he hit me with a karate chop and dropped me. And instead of crying, I looked up at him and said, what is that? He goes, that's karate. I'm like, what's karate? He then proceeded to explain a little bit what, what karate was all about, and he took two books off his shelf, um, and he passed them along to me. One was a book by Bruce Tegner, and the other one was the uh, world-famous uh, Karate, the Art of Empty Hand Fighting by Nishiyama and Brown with the uh, wonderful tatami uh, um, uh, embroidered cover. And um, he has been studying with a gentleman by the name of Dave Schuster. Dave Schuster was a gentleman who had started the uh, uh, studying uh, Masayama's Kyokushinkai system and had a Kyokushinkai dojo on Dartmouth Street in New Bedford, Mass. Um, way back when, there were, no one was teaching kids, no one was teaching women. You know, it was a very, very select group. So um, my father would, would, would give me little, little, tricks of the trade as in relationship and punches and kicks. And we would do little things here and there. Uh, then fast forward. Uh, and I should, I should mention um, when I was born, I was born grossly pigeon code and I couldn't run and play with the other kids uh, as easily. Um, my, both my feet literally pointed at 90 degree angles. I was very similar. You know, I could see Forrest Gump in those braces and I was like, I could relate. Um, I was actually had cast when I was a small baby to try to straighten my feet out. But, um, the, the martial arts um, really helped me with that. Um, really specifically when I started in the commercial martial arts, um, I was at uh, St. Anthony's uh, uh, Junior High School or, or elementary school. It was 7th uh, and 8th grade. And uh, I met a gentleman by the name of Eric Chevalier. And Eric was studying at uh, one of the original United Studios of Self-Defenses that was created by Fred Valari back in the 1970s. This is 1975. And um, uh, that summer... Uh, after I after I met with Eric and he gave me stories about his martial arts training, um, they had a special in the, in the Standard Times, which is a local newspaper, for three months of instruction, free uniform, free patch, free bag to carry your stuff for a whopping $99. And uh, my mother, who was a stitcher at the time, I convinced her to have me go to the school. 
And there I met my first uh, official karate instructor uh, commercially, which was a gentleman by the name of Fred E. Hosmer. And he normally has to refer to him as Ed. So it's ironic that two of the most important people in my martial arts career were both named Ed. I'm guessing the second was Ed Parker. Hey, you bet. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, and, um, you know, I always say when I when people say, well, what, what was your instructor like? I said he had the flexibility of Jean-Claude Van Damme. He had the physique of Bruce Lee. He had the tan of George Hamilton. He had the, 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 the hair. He had... He had the he had the hair like uh, like uh, like Robert Redford. I mean, the guy the guy was a, a good looking guy. It was funny because um, they, we had a local. We were it's located in Fairhaven. We used to have high school girls come by and look in the window just to watch Ed work out. Uh, you know, but uh, he was an incredible martial arts instructor, and he was a person at the time. Even though United Studios, you know, uh, Fred Valari's format and what later would become the Shaolin Kempo system. Way back then, it was Kempo Karate with an N. And uh, I remember we used to bought Professor Chow, and it was a picture of Professor Chow. Years later, I would learn this actually was autographed to Nick Serio. And, um, yeah, we would buy the flag, buy Professor Chow, kneel, kneel and meditate, uh, front position, and uh, that's how I started. And uh, we got it all the way up to Blue Belt, and then uh, um, Ed left for various reasons and whatnot, and we had a series of instructors come in. But I was so ingrained with training with him. Um, he encouraged me to read different martial arts magazines. And uh, because of my memory, I didn't just read them, I memorized them. So I had this catalog of martial arts information, arts I had never studied, you know, as I was studying Kenpo. Uh, as a small child, I also remembered uh, the importance of keeping track of things. So uh, because of that, I, 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 you know, you mentioned about a photographic memory. I found out in my high school years later on, I had a 162 IQ, which was genius level at that time. And even is. back then I knew the, all right, well, even back then I knew the importance of taking notes. So I would pull out my little flare magic markers and I'd take my little notebook and put my notebook paper and I would write technique number one. And I would try to write it as best I could in my, you know, 12 year old capabilities and uh, it was really funny because fast forward to almost 20 years later, there was a gentleman there at the studio who basically, he was a, a, a real jock. In fact, he was being um, uh, scouts for the, uh, for the National Baseball League. We're looking at him to, be, to, to put him on one of the teams, et cetera. And he laughed at me. He thought that, that me writing these notes was funny, and he made fun of me about it. Well, fast forward over 20 years later, we were at his studio in a cushionette, and we were going over some of that material, and he was like, Hey, I remember that technique. I keep going through. Hey, I forgot that technique. Wow, I forgot <laughs> it. Going, well, I don't remember. Wow, what are you doing? I'm saying, I'm going over my notes. Remember the ones that you made fun of me for? Nice. <laughs> wow, can I, and I was like, wow, can I get a copy of them? No, you made fun of me. <laughs> like, nice. <laughs> I read you gave a copy of them. But you know, it was like, you know, I was like, well, you know, it's not my fault. You didn't, you know, you know. Um, but I mean, so I, I was studying with, I was studying at Hosmer and like I said, the, the, um, he had left him uh, as when I was a blue belt and I started looking around at different martial arts schools. I, I went to go train in Taekwondo, well, Tang Soo Do. Uh, also uh, another inspiration for me locally was a gentleman, Jack Leonardo, who um, was the person who brought Aikido to New Bedford area. Uh, he, uh, he originally had studied uh, actually through, originally through books. He owned a, a, a local, um, uh, music store when he used to teach accordion lessons and then he got involved in York barbells and, and started, uh, was that 
at 40 years of age, he could, he could bench over over 300, which was like back then astronomical. Uh, he also sold bear archery. But then uh, he was reading Iron Man magazine, and which he had gotten because obviously he was involved in bodybuilding and weightlifting and read an article on Aikido. And uh, the other articles, the other martial art they had read about was Ed Parker's Kenpo Karate. For those of you who don't know, there are articles on Mr. Parker's system on old issues of Iron Man magazine. So um, he had studied Aikido, and he was, a, he was a great inspiration to me as well. He taught me not only about the physicality, but also the mentality and the philosophy behind martial arts. And he really was a living epitome of what a master should be. So um, I was still bouncing around back and forth. And um, I had seen a small ad in a in the local newspaper. Um, private kung fu students uh, re- um, uh, requested no experience necessary, and um, I went to this location on a place called Hick Street, which is in a rather seedy neighborhood. There was a motorcycle gang um, headquarters up the street from it, and um, I met a gentleman by the name of Leo Lassert. And uh, Leo and another gentleman, uh, Chris Vieira, um, were teaching this hybrid system of Kung Fu, uh, Chung Lum Kung Fu. And um, Chris Vieira had trained with Ron Champlain, which some people may know as Master Chi. And I uh, was working with them in this hybrid system of Kung Fu. And while all this was going on at the same time, I was going to European Health Spa. And I met a gentleman by the name of John Gabriel. And John Gabriel had returned turned from the Air Force and, and stationed in Taiwan, and he learned Taekwondo and Taichuandao. Now, with most people, Taichuandao is the Taiwanese pronunciation of Taekwondo. But the representative for Taiwan, for Taekwondo, um, was the son of a Chinese diplomat who was the envoy to Korea. And he had studied Korean calligraphy with Dan Il, who was the Taekyon instructor for General Che, or some people pronounce it General Choi. Uh, Choi Hong Hee. So he and Choi studied Taekyong with this calligrapher together because the, his father, who was a, man, uh, a Mandarin and also was a diplomat and an envoy to, uh, to uh, the ambassador to Korea um, uh, from China, wanted his son to be immersed in, the, in the, the Korean culture. And he had also married a Korean woman. So this is a combination of a Taekwondo and eight Kung Fu styles. And it's a, it's a lot different from con- conventional taekw- traditional Taekwondo. So I'm learning that I'm studying, I'm studying, I'm studying this Kung Fu system. I'm studying, I'm studying Taekwondo. And then I find out that there's a Kung Fu club over at SNU, not Southeastern, not, not Southern Methodist, but Southeastern Massachusetts University, which would later become UMass uh, Dartmouth. So I go to meet the instructor and uh, he's the eighth chosen disciple from this gentleman, Jason Zhou. Those of you who might have a complete guide to Kung Fu styles, you'll see several pictures of Sifu Zhou uh, depicted showing the Northern styles all throughout that book from uh, unique publications. So the student Ed Jada, I went to go study with him. And uh, he said, oh, do you study under the martial arts? Oh, yeah, I said, come well, then I can't teach you. I was like, what do you mean you can't teach me? It's like, well, you know, my instructor says you'll poison, you'll poison the art. And I was like, with all due respect, I expect hearing that from a, from a Chinese gentleman, not the blonde-haired, blue-eyed Caucasian, you know? <laughs> so at first he wouldn't teach me, and I kept showing up to classes. And like the third or fourth class, I was the only, I was the only person there. None of his other students showed up. And he was like, you really want to do this? I said, yeah, I take two buses and go, for, go here for an hour just to sit on the chair. Yeah, I do. 
I said, okay, I'll teach you. So that was the Wu-Tang curriculum. And uh, the, so I am a real member of the Wu-Tang clan. <laughs> and now, not the not the mainland Chinese, but the Taiwanese through Grandmaster Yen Chao Liu, who's one of the ten tigers of Taiwan. So we were learning uh, six harmony, seven star, eight step mantis. We were learning uh, Tai Chi Chuan, uh, Yang style, well uh, Chen style and Wu style. Uh, we were learning uh, Piqua Mizung, which is the uh, uh, labyrinth system or the style popularized by Jet Li in the film Fearless. And also, that's the master who dies in Chinese Connection that uh, Bruce Lee is mourning in the film. And um, so I'm studying that with them. And uh, at that point, Sensei Leonardo had decided to open up um, the uh, weapon legacies of Aikido, which is Aikiken and Aikijo, the legacies of Moto Yueshima. And you didn't have to be an Aikido student to study them. So every Saturday, I would go and train with him. So here I am. I'm going through all this while all this is going on. And... Um, I start competing on, in the tournament circuit. I compete in the AAU. I compete in Crane, Karate Referees Association, New England. Um, and then uh, I meet my old Kenpo instructor, who the assistant instructor, Jim Gagnon from United Studios. So he's asking me what I'm up to. I'm telling him about all the different arts I'm studying and different things going on. He goes, he goes, well, why don't you ever finish Kenpo? I said, there was nobody here to teach. And there were the, the aforementioned jock gentleman and a really cool friend of his who was like the epitome of, if you looked at the guy, his buddy, Steve Peeler, man, he was right out of, uh, it looked like he was right out of Woodstock. He was a great guy. Mark Hippolito was the other gentleman. I, I was working with them for a little bit, but they were getting more involved in Shotokan. And I was just, for different reasons in my area, I was just never interested in Shotokan in my area. Just wasn't, you know, um, it, it was, it was, it was just different things with the people, the way they acted. I was just, nah, no thanks. But um, I talked to him about Kempo, and he was, uh, he was like, yeah, it's just like, um, I'm, I'm teaching in my basement. And I was like, oh, cool. So I started to train with him. So I'm training five different martial arts all at the same time. And um, that's, and that's, the way I, that's, that's the way my mind works. I just, I, you know, it's different. It's, it's, it's like, you know, people talk about, you know, tomato sauce. Well, you can put tomato sauce in pizza, or you can put it in Generoso's chicken. It doesn't taste the same. It's a different flavor. It's a different influence. Um, almost, so all this is going on. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, I almost wonder if, if it's not necessarily photographic, but I mean, you almost sound like you have an eidetic memory. Yeah. Well, that's, and you know, recently I was talking to an expert in the field and, uh, that's what he mentioned to me. He said, you don't just have a photographic memory, Mr. Ravel, you have photo eidetic memory. Yeah. Eidetic is the whole cross like, complete, you know, cross-reference encyclopedic, you know, back and forth, but you can still keep them separate and, and functional separately. That's, that's, you know, even more rare than photographic is. Exactly. And that's, and that's what I found out. And now that, that was fairly recently that I, that I was made aware of that. Um, but so in 1981, I got my first, I, I, I got my first, uh, un, just before advanced, we call it uh, at the time, a Nimu sash. So because you were learning the Chinese orientation, Taekwondo and, and Taekwondo. And, um, shortly after that in January, 1983, I, well, I should missing a very important point here. When I was training with Jim Gagnon, he was looking for a place that he was teaching his own place. And um, I was talking to Leo uh, Lasser, and I said, Leo, you should check out Kenpo. Because I wasn't studying uh, the, the, the hybrid system of Kung Fu, different things that happened. And I'm trying to explain, but we get, became fast friends. And uh, I said, you really should check this out. Ah, I had a bad taste. Of I don't know why. But um, then he got to meet Jim Gagnon. They were both Vietnam veterans. They had both been in Vietnam at the same time in the same area, and they started to talk to each other. And they got along fantastically, and their 
their their friendship is what allowed Leo to change his mind and start studying Kempo. So in January 1983, Leo Lassert, another German, Ron Valier, who later would go on to train with Joe Rossi and Kuntau and also with Nick Sirio and his system, and myself, all tested for our black belts. Within five years, I had black belts in five martial arts. And I hadn't tested it for years because I had always been taught that by, by, by certain individuals that, you know, it's the knowledge, not the rank. But I had the knowledge, so it was a lot easier to, to obtain the rank because I could perform the material. So all that was going on. And after Leo tested for his black belt in Kenpo, he wanted to continue his training. And, of course, being a, a, like myself, the big hog when it came to collecting martial arts books and magazines, etc., he always had issues of every issue of black belt, every issue of inside kung fu. Leo had it, and so did I. And so he said, well, if we're talking about Kenpo, Ed Parker. And he contacted Mr. Parker. Now, at that time, which is 1980, the early 1980s, about 1982 and 83, um, Nick Sirio, Kali Griffin, Tony Cogliandro, Don Rodriguez, had all gotten together to contact Mr. Parker because Professor Sirio had been a member of the IKK back in the late 1960s. And for whatever reason, he had left, so they decided to reestablish their ties with Mr. Parker. So we were getting in at the same time with this. So it was perfect timing. So they, were bring, they started to bring Mr. Parker in to teach a series of seminars. And uh, Mr. Lassert went to the first uh, school meeting in, 80, in, I think it was 83, or, or between 83 and 84. And uh, there were pictures, there's still pictures of it in Inside Kung Fu Magazine and Black Belt, et cetera. But um, at that time, Mr. Lucert and I were learning from Big Red, the accumulative journal, as were many people in New England at that time. So we got in on the ground level right when Mr. Parker was just starting to teach in New England. So... I was like a groupie. I would follow Mr. Parker at all these various seminars. I'd get into, I had old 1969 Dodge art and I would drive, I'd drive to different seminars and went through a series of old cars, but always looking for that instruction with Mr. Parker. And, um, I started teaching at a local health spa at a racquetball club, actually. And the owners were studying with me and they were starting to study the Parker systems as, as I was transitioning out of the, New England Kempo-based orientation. I know Mike Burton somewhere is rolling his eyes about that because he hates when he uses that term. But it really was the system that was popularized, which was basically came from George Passari to Nick Serio to Fred Volari on down. That particular orientation variation on uh, Sonny Gascon's Karazempo Goshen Jitsu, which I also studied later on with C. Joe Gascon and 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 also became at one point the the Massachusetts co-vice president and. You know, I really wanted to help out with that. But back to Mr. Parker, you know, I really wanted to learn. And the owners of the, 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 the racquetball club said, how come you never opened a commercial school? I said, never had the capital. They went, you do now. Huh, okay. And um, went to open the first commercial um, American campus school in, well, actually I should say Mr. Lassert opened one earlier, but it unfortunately wasn't a success and he closed it. But um, we opened one in the north end of the city. And brought Mr. Lasser in, and he in turn brought in this gentleman, Steve Arsenal, who I had known 
from years ago. We had gone to school together at one point. And uh, he eventually ended up taking over the school and whatnot. Um, I just kept teaching. I just kept going. Um, but I kept following Mr. Parker around. And Mr. Par- and I wanted to open up the first Ed Parker franchise. So I had a meeting with Mr. Parker and brought in the backers. And, you know, we, we got the prices and what we were going to do. And even though the backers backed out of not doing it as an Ed Parker franchise, Mr. Parker never forgot that. So I would follow him around to these various seminars, learning what I could. When the backers were backing me, I'd go to the major camps out in Pikesville, Maryland, out in uh, Chicago, Illinois, the famous Chicago Conclave, the Lee Wedlake ran at Dragon Wind Kempo with Mr. Parker, Mr. Palonzo, Mr. Trejo, and Mr. Planis all there. And um, just wanted to learn. And uh, we were at, Mr. Lucerne and myself were at a distinct advantage because of a very important feature. We had both studied Kung Fu. And Mr. Parker's system is a very Chinese-oriented system of Kempo and a different influence of who he had studied with, both northern and southern Kung Fu systems. And it was very obvious as we were going through it. Hey, this is northern praying mantis Kung Fu. Hey, that's Hungar. Hey, that's Charlie Foot. Hey, but, you know, as we're going through stuff. And uh, so it was, it, we, we were very fortunate. And I was very fortunate because Mr. Parker took a liking to me. I like to beat me up. So, And, I, you know, it's funny. I, part of me sits there and says – you know, did he do that between because Tony Cogliano and Don Rodriguez said smack him around or <laughs> did he do it because he liked me or did he do it because he knew I really wanted to learn? I don't care which reason it is. I got to work with Ed Parker. I got to have Mr. Parker demonstrate on me in a world now where people Ed Parker is just a picture on a wall that people bow to. And, and this, this, this sainted figure, I got to work with Mr. Parker. I got to be smacked around by Mr. Parker. I got to be able to, and I took him at his word. He was like, if you have a question, don't hesitate to ask. I'd write stuff down. I'd show up in the next seminar. Hey, Mr. Parker, what about this? Hey, Mr. Parker, how'd you do this? And I would, you know, pick his brain. Um, Jeff Speakman tells a great story. One day, he was taking a private lesson with Mr. Parker in his home. And this had to be about 1985, 1986, around that time. But I say 85. But anyway, I, I call up Mr. Parker, and I was talking with Leo Lisser, and we were discussing about the hand sword. And most people may sit to say, you call them up about a hand sword. The way Mr. Parker did this, does the hand sword in American Kempo is distinctly different from other styles of martial arts. And actually, if you look in volume three of Infinite Insights and you have Mr. Trejo doing the inward outward parry, we do our hand sword the same way, directly on the center point of that triangle. So I called him up, and um, when, I, when I, I finally met Jeff after Mr. Parker died, and he said, oh, you were the guy with the hand sword. And nice. he told me the story about how he called and he was kind of, Mr. Parker kind of looked at the phone incredulously. And this happened several times when I dealt with Mr. Parker. I said, Mr. Parker, how do you do this hand? How do you do a hand sword? How do you do it? And kind of look at me out. Sorry, Mr. Parker. Mr. Parker, how do you do a hand sword? Because when you hit me with this drop hand sword at the end of five swords, you just about knocked my contact lenses out of my eyeballs. <laughs> oh, you noticed that, huh? Oh, yeah. Or Mr. Parker, how do you do a heel palm? Mr. Parker, when you hit me, it felt like the back of my brain was going to blow out my cerebellum and being compressed into my cervical vertebrae. Oh, you noticed that, huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and, you know, it's funny. There's a thing that Edmund, Ed Parker Jr. talks about. I call him Edmund, and I'm very blessed and very fortunate to have known him. Um, he refers to his that sometimes as my dad's sadistic fantasies. And I once told Edmund, I said, 
Edmund, with all due respect, your dad's sadistic fantasies and my hopeful actualities. Nice. And whenever Mr. Parker did something particularly brutal, particularly violent, particularly vicious, I ate it up like ice cream. And you'd hear me go, yeah. And you go, you look at me and go, you like that stuff, don't you? Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it was like I I'd always definitely referred to Kempo as how to rip gouge, maim, and mutilate for fun and profit. And um, in many ways, it's true. You know, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, the, the phrase from the perfect weapon is very accurate. Kempo can be the most lethal of the martial arts. And uh, to me, that's the beauty of Kempo, not the derogatory aspects of it. I see people today who literally won't tell people that they're teaching their children Kenpo because they they consider it, it's like the black sheep of the family. Um, I don't feel that way. I love the martial arts. And when I learned Mr. Parker's system, it was a, it was, it was, it was an eye-opening experience. It was a godsend. Uh, we were in New Bedford at a seminar that was being run uh, as part of Mr. Uh, Tony Cogliandro, you know, you got to give him props. He was the man who brought Mr. Parker here. He was the one who had Mr. Parker do the tours. He's the one who was the coordinator of Mr. Parker's itinerary. And, you know, I just wrote off my time. and just go to Mr. Parker. And that's how I considered it. And Mr. Parker would always take the extra time. Because people say, oh, you know, you only went to a seminar. And they always want to downplay that. They always want to give a downtrodden image of my experiences with Mr. Parker. No one can take that away from me. No one can take, no one can take away every time I dealt with Mr. Parker. No one was there for all those experiences. The, the naysayers who say negative things about it uh, that I hear occasionally were not at the majority of those seminars, and I was. So when people say that, I'm like, eh, you know, I was busy learning. Um, I was busy having him demonstrate on me. You know, so, and that's how I learned. And that, and, you know, as we learned the system, pick his brain and, um, you know, go back and learn. And if uh, you were doing something incorrect, he would correct you or, 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 or he, or he wouldn't correct you. He'd make you think about it, you know, make you, make you go through the, the thought process. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's the way he was. So anyway, we're at the seminar at, um, uh, it was, uh, never get um, Brian DeMello, who actually was a fellow student of mine way back when in 75 back at United studios. And, um, so he had a, a student, Justina Hall, who was one of the top competitors in the country at that time. And, um, they brought Mr. Parker in for a seminar and, uh, we had a couple of interesting incidents happen. And, uh, matter of fact, one of them is documented in Ed Parker's, uh, um, Temple, uh, Ed Parker's signature uniform. He talks about this experience I have with Mr. Parker and, um, Person signing a person signing a book. You know, thank you, Master Parker. Mister Parker didn't, didn't look down on the guy in any way, shape, or form, but he just looked just the slightest bit uncomfortable. So I asked him. I said, Mister Parker, why don't you like the term Master? Well, Joseph, let me tell you. First of all, my only Master is my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And second of all, Joseph. In order for there to be masters, there have to be slaves. And I don't want any of my students to ever feel that they're a slave to me. And that's verbatim. That's the joys of the photographic memory. So we were talking, and uh, another important thing, we were talking about the black key. 
someone's mentioned about the black uniform. And I said, well, Mr. Parker, why, why did you go from the white gi to the black gi in your system? And he said, Joseph, let me ask you a question. What color do priests wear? I said, black. What color do judges wear? With their robes. Black. What color originally did the police wear? Well, way back to Keystone Cops, black. It says in each instance, the color black has been associated with respect, sobriety, and overall, and I think the term I'm trying to is respect, sobriety, and... Um, authority? Authority. Thank you. And stereo were available, huh? Uh, so, and I never forgot that. And Edmund actually quoted that and put that when he was talking about the Ed Parker signature uniform. Those are the stories I remember. Those are the things, and, you know, whether it be techniques, sets, forms, or overall theories, you know, there's a, and then when I watch certain videos, I can't help but laugh. Like there's a video floating around of Mr. Parker demonstrating the use of the knife. And um, he's working with a shorter gentleman, and it's at, and it's at um, Joe Palanzo's studio. And there's a guy with short brown hair sitting at his feet. And he's talking. And you can see Mr. Parker looking at the guy and the guy nodding in response. That's me. Nice. If, if you look at the Ed Parker Nunchaku seminar that a particular gentleman is selling on eBay, and there's this guy with curly hair and a big bushy mustache looking like Avery Shriver. <laughs> that's me. And, and Mr. Parker breaks a pair of Nunchaku on my face at that seminar. He's got these foam rubber, which I get, which are mine. He takes a pair, and you know they had the hollow, they have the hollow plastic on the inside, mm -hmm. and he's doing his figure eight action, and whack, he drops into a rotating twist and blasts me with it, and he breaks it. And it's funny because at one point in the video, you see there's this little kid, and he's talking to Mr. Parker, and he can't hear what the little kid's saying, but the, the little kid's saying to him, "Mr. Parker, you're hitting him really hard." <laughs> And he goes, oh, no, no, no. This, and you can see him pointing in the chat. He says, this thing in the chat makes a real big noise when I hit him. Yeah, it was an Nunchaku breaking on my face. <laughs> but, well, those, you know, those, those, are, the those are the experiences. That, yeah. I was just going to say, those are the stories that you just, I mean, you know, nothing can ever take those away. Those are memories you'll have for a lifetime. Oh, you bet. And, and, to, to, pick, and to pick Mr. Parker's brain and to talk about his system. And then, you know, tragically after he passed, you know, it, it was, you know, I took him at his word. You know, when I was, when I was, when he was alive, I said, you know, who do I work with? And originally he, he sent me to Joe Palanzo. Now originally we were working and there's nothing against Mr. and Mr. Cogliandro or anyone in New England at that point, but you have to understand a very important feature. We were all learning the same stuff at the same time. So it wasn't a matter where these individuals had all the knowledge and we went to them for all the knowledge. No, we were in the same boat all together, learning at the same time. And as the various tests went on over the years from 1983 till his death in 1990, he was starting to be more and more adamant. He knew who, he knew who were the people that really wanted to learn the system and the people who just basically wanted another stripe on their belt and would show up and they hadn't learned Mr. Mm -hmm. Parker's system and they were still doing the same material that they were doing 20 years before that. And he was like, well, what am I here for then? If you don't want to learn what I'm doing. But people like myself and Mr. Lassert and, and, and other people in that, in that area, those, we really wanted to learn, and he knew that. Mm -hmm. So he would pass that knowledge along. And uh, it became critically important in regards to the system. 
And then after he died, I mean, I, I ended up working with everybody from Lee Wedlake, the Hutt Planist, the Frank Trejo, anyone I could train with, anyone I could train who trained with Mr. Parker. Have Gee, will travel. And just, you betcha, you know, and it's like, you know, I was, I was the Kempo groupie. I would show up anywhere. I just wanted to learn and get that confirmation of the fact. And that was the key. And, uh, so, um, I was very blessed. I was uh, very blessed. And then, uh, oh, go ahead, please. Oh, I was just going to say, so uh, yeah, not just with the Mr. Parker system though, but you've, you've got advanced black belts in multiple different lineages of Kempo and then a whole lot of other traditional level, uh, traditional systems as well. So, uh, since we're on the Kempo topic for a moment, I, I got to ask, cause I've seen, you know, um, you have a few pictures up, you know, just a few of the various uniforms that you have. Um, <laughs> you know, j- just just a couple. And at last I, count, hundred and forty. At last count, my collection is one hundred and forty-seven. I rest my case. That's just a few, you know, on the quantum scale, I guess. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, you're you're highly ranked in the Tracy system of Kempo as well, which is devol- or sorry, not uh, it's diverged from an earlier uh, interpretation of Ed Parker's system. And you've also been involved with the Goshen Jitsu people and numerous other ones, uh, including David German. And uh, David German was one of the original well, well, black belts under Ed Parker as well. And then he went and added more from other systems as well. So that, that's kind of the background to the question. The question being, um, as you're studying these different systems and you're learning these different, you know, same movement, but they call it this thing over here and they call it this thing over here. Right. How much similarity do you find versus how much different do you find when you're looking at these different interpretations? Well, the phrase I use is we're more alike than we are different. And I want to correct something, first of all. Um, in relationship to my, 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 my training with the Tracys, um, I am a member of the Yudanshakai, which is a black belt society. Um, when they recognized my eighth, and this is they recognized mm my eighth degree black belt from David German. Um, you know, I'm not going to be so bold to sit there and say I'm eighth degree black belt in Tracy Kempo. Um, however, I, I am a member of the, of the, the black belt, the black belt society, the Udon Chikai. I am one of the uh, charter members of the Kempo hall of fame, which was founded in 2007 by, uh, Al Tracy. Um, with the exception of one time, unfortunately, um, I have been to all of the gathering of Eagles and actually was hired later on by the Tracy's to interview many of these different instructors from the gathering of Eagles. Um, I am in the process of, of learning the Tracy system so that it's always been, it's, Steve, it's very important to me. It's always been important to me that there was a phrase that James Latose once said, he said, when I go into a Buddhist temple, I'm a Buddhist. When I go into a Christian, when I go into a Catholic church, I'm a Catholic. When I go into a synagogue, I'm a Hebrew. When I go into a mosque, I'm, I'm, I'm a study, I'm a student of Islam. I've always wanted, it was always very important to me to have at least a working knowledge of these major martial arts systems so that not only could I intelligently discuss it with practitioners of that art, I could perform their art. Logical to me. And many times to a, to a black belt level. You know, I've heard for years, you know, and I understand how people are upset with the Tracys, like because of the, the stories that were written about the history of Kenpo and KenpoKarate.com and things from, from the, from Jim Tracy and the others. And, you know, and, and I understand that. And I, you know, and when I first met Mr. Tracy, I met him 
Um, actually, it was Bill. And you know, it's funny. Here's another one that has been popping up a lot. Count Dante. Man, lately I see more stuff about Count Dante on the internet than ever before. Um, I knew Bill Aguiar, who was the rightful inheritor, and I'm saying that on a public medium, the rightful inheritor of Count Dante's legacy and the Black Dragon Fighting Society. Um, I have autographed copies of, of you know, um, Mr. Aguiar's updated version he did. I have the original. I was at the Roseland Ballroom in Taunton when Count Dante had the, the death matches there. Um, you know, I worked with Bill Aguiar and it was funny cause when I, I met him after Mr. Parker's death and, um, the words that got me in the door were Ed Parker, because I had been told by John McSweeney that after John Keehan had left, um, Robert Trias, by the way, not only the Midwest rep of the USKA, but the youngest fifth-degree black belt ever promoted by Robert Trias at that time. Um, he then went to go train with Ed Parker. Mm-hmm. And uh, he would fly from Chicago down to, New- down to Pasadena, and he would take afternoon classes, and John McSweeney was in those same classes, and they studied with Ed Parker together. So when a simple people make fun of, of Count Dante, I can't help but laugh. I'm going, hi, remember that thing from Bloom County? We have met the enemy, and they are us. You know, I hate to tell you guys, but what Compound is doing is Kempo. And it's our system of Kempo, too, on top of that. Because after he saw, after he, when he wasn't working with Mr. Parker, he was working with the Tracys and learning that material as well. And when I went to work with Bill Aguiar, the material he was teaching was Tracy Kempo when he wasn't teaching things directly from Dante. So it was like, surprise! Um, but, you know, it was always very important to me to learn the system. So when I started working, I, I had a good friend of mine, uh, uh, John DeLuca, that I met through America Online. And we, we way back when, you were around at that point as well, with uh, Kempo cars and everything going on with the message boards and everything with AOL. Mm-hmm. And um, he was a Tracy guy. And um, he came down to my studio. We were having this, this uh, um, Kathy's Espresso Bar. That's what she used to call this private chat room she had for martial arts on the Grandstand channel. And um, got to meet him and worked with him and were comparing notes between the Tracy and the Parker system. And then I uh, got to meet Mr. Tracy in Wittensville, Massachusetts. This guy, Rob Yeager, uh, Rob Wager rather, owned a, a Tracy studio way out there. And uh, I went to go meet Mr. Tracy. And, uh, you know, Mr. Tracy's attitude because, you know, when he found out I was a Parker guy, even with the TV show, it was like suspect and prospect. And um, we were talking, and at one point he was talking about this one person, it wasn't me, who had upset him. And suddenly he dropped into a road, did a thrusting sweep kick, dropped into a routine twist and sandwich. And I was like, look, there's Ed Parker. <laughs> and he looked at me and he didn't know. And for a moment, he didn't know if I was insulting or compliment. I said, sir, that is the ultimate compliment. I can pay you. How, what, what, what is the greatest compliment? You move like your instructor. And he got this big smile on his face and the ice was broken. And we ended up talking for like eight and a half hours. And we shot an interview, and um, he knew I didn't have an agenda. He knew I didn't have any preconceived notions about about, about what was going on, or the, or the phrase I I coined on the internet, Ken politics. <laughs> and he knew I didn't have that, and he, so and I just wanted to find out about him and get to know him. And uh, they had the '99 event, and then, uh, like I said, Mr. Mr. Aguilar was the one who told me about the, about the uh, about the seminar. So he was there. And uh, in 99, went to the, uh, the Gathering Eagles, phenomenal event. Phenomenal. If you didn't go, you should have. Um, 
And then someone, I kept asking Mr. Mr. Tracy, you got someone who's filming? Oh yeah, I got somebody who's going to film. And he didn't. I don't know what happened, but it fell through. Mm. And it was, it was a tragedy. It was a tragedy. So when the next one came up in 2001, John McSweeney, who knew me and knew it was, a, of course, a, a Tracy uh, Kimball studio owner, was talking with Alan Pat Tracy. He says, well, why don't you get Joe Rebella to do it? I mean, he did interview you. How'd you like it? Oh, he loved it. Great guy. We talked for hours, et cetera. Why don't you hire him? So he did. And there were so many people to interview. Another gentleman, John Nieto at the event, um, was then brought into another room so he could interview people at the same time um, because there were just so many interviews. But the stuff that I have, you know, and the saddest thing is John McSweeney. He's gone now. Ted Tabora. He's gone now. Urusaki, he's gone too. So many of the people I interviewed way back then, you know, 17 years ago, are gone. But at least now you Mr. got to Tracy's sit down and gone. talk to them, so. Oh, yeah, and have them not only talk to them, Steve, but have them demonstrate. So they would we do an interview, and then they do a demonstration of their art. That's great. Phenomenal stuff, incredible stuff. And uh, have since then filmed several of the, the, past, the, the past gathering of Eagles since then and different interviews and seminars with these various instructors. And it makes it all the more important. And, you know, that's the key. If we don't, if we don't document this history, if we don't retain it, if we don't put it out there for the masses to see, it dies with us. Yeah, we're living in a great and moment in time where we have all the technology all. to be able to do that, too. Right. But yet, I, you know, here's the saddest thing, Steve. On at least two occasions, I have had instructors laying on their deathbed dying, looking at me. In one case, in tears saying, if only I had let you film more. And their own egos stopped them from letting me film. It's a, no, 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 don't film that. No, 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 don't film that. And here they were dying and realizing that that, that piece of knowledge, that insight, is gone forever. They could never teach it again, and it could never be passed on for future generations because nobody recorded it. I'm going to flip. And that's that why positive. I'm always man. I'm, I'm going to flip okay. that positive. So for everything that has been filmed, where do people find it? Oh, uh, again, uh, well, one of the things that inspired me was creating a program. Um, uh, again, talking with Mr. Parker. What happened was here's the funny story, and and a little bit of a sad ending too. Um, I'm at McDonald's. And it's after a crane tournament and I'm sitting at McDonald's and I'm sitting with Ho Sung Park and his brother, Ho Young Park and Richie Brandon. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. Ho Sung Park, Liu Kang from the video game, Mortal Kombat one and two. Mm-hmm. He and his brother, Ho Young from WMAC masters. Now this is long before any of this as star warrior. And I forget the uh, superstar. Richie Brandon, who later would go on to be Yin Yang Man on WMAC Masters. All three of these men have been inducted into the Black Belt Magazine and Inside Kung Fu Hall of Fame. And we're sitting there at McDonald's trying to figure out what the next tournament is. <laughs> okay? And I sat there and I thought to myself, man, if I took the time just to interview these guys and talk to them about their life and career. And later on, I would with, with Richie. Well, unfortunately, and like I said, here's another part. Sadly, Richie dies of pancreatic cancer a few years ago. You know, you never know what life's going to deal with you. So it became very important to me to take the time to interview these instructors, masters, celebrities in the martial arts, 
to talk to them about their career, not just the rudimentary stuff that someone in the news field and news media will walk into a job and have no idea what's going on. I would sit there and detail and research and memorize material. So when I interview these people, my greatest compliment I get from any of these interviewees is, how do you know that? <laughs> Why do you know that? You know? And that's how the program became. That's how the program started. And of course, Mr. Parker uh, died in 1990, and Jeff Speakman was the first person I interviewed. I didn't tell him he was the first show. But, you know, it was a, but that's how the door opened. That's how it all started. And uh, it's, uh, this October 3rd will be 28 years that our program's been on the air. And uh, we're in six major uh, um, cable systems over a million households throughout southeastern Massachusetts. And we're now on YouTube, so you can watch past episodes and present extended episodes that are beyond the half-hour format exclusively on YouTube. That's great. So it's all about giving back. But um, you were talking about the... David German. I just want to, and I want to clarify that about, about the Tracy's because I just don't want people to sit there and say, well, he's claiming this. No, I'm, I'm, I'm saying what, what I've been recognized for. And if they do so and whatever they do, you know, I'm learning the system. And that's the whole thing. I watched, uh, uh, you know, Kevin Harshman. He just wrote a thing about, about how he changed his mind about the Tracy's and whatnot, which is fantastic. I said, I watched Tracy Kempo. It's at Parker's Kempo and it's not at Parker's Kempo. There are techniques in, in Mr. Parker's system we don't do in the Tracy's and vice versa. Um, real funny Ed Parker story. We're at um, Bernicock Landrow School in Saugus, and he's talking about how they used to, he used to travel from uh, jurisdiction to jurisdiction to teach law enforcement personnel. And he's at one place, and they got this enormous guy they're trying to put in a jail cell. And there's like four officers trying to push this guy into the cell. He's got his arms braced. And he says, so one of the officers, Mr. Parker, can you help us with this, with this guy? So he walks over and he says, so then I, Mr. Rebello, <laughs> like, oh, well, here we go. So he has to brace my hands against the door jams of Tony Cogliandro's office and brace my feet and brace hard. Now I don't see what happens. Suddenly I feel this foot kick me in the back of the knee. I feel these meat hooks. And this part didn't have hands. He had meat hooks. That's Chuck Sullivan. He had meat hooks. Wrap and engulf my face, and suddenly all the light in the room is blotted out, and my head turns around like Linda Blair in The Exorcist, and I go spinning into the office. Wild moon. Wow, that was cool. <laughs> <laughs> Years later, I would work on study the Tracy system, and I would see a technique called the key, and the key was the technique that Ed Parker did to me. Now, here's a technique that Ed Parker no longer teaches, quote-unquote, in the Ed Parker system, yet the Tracys teach that technique. And I know Mr. Parker still remembered it because he did it on me. Mm -hmm. So, I, I, you know, the Ed Parker himself, the mind's like a parachute, works best when it's open. You know, I mean, and uh, my instructor, uh, Aikido instructor, uh, Jack Leonardo, he had a greater phrase. He said, you know, Joseph, it's good to have an open mind but it's better to have an open heart. By having that open heart, you accept everything. You embrace it all, and you want to just be sincere and learn ever the student. You know, I mentioned about David German. Um, I met David German. Um, I first, matter of fact, I'm looking at the March 1981 issue of Black Belt Magazine because I had it blown up into a poster. And um, in the January issue, Larry Tatum's on the cover, and that was one of the first articles I ever saw on David German. And I read about him, and I was fascinated with the way he thought. And then uh, 
when he was in, in the March issue. It's got him and another gentleman, Kenny Carter, on the cover. And um, I always wanted to meet him. And he didn't have any commercial products out until later that year when he had filmed a series of instructional videos for Panther Productions. And uh, one was the, the Kempo uh, Jiu-Jitsu Connection, um, Explosive Ground Fighting, Choking Strangulation Techniques, and the Dynamic Art of Chinna, or China. So um, I watched the videos, and uh, after Mr. Parker died, I was asked by the Parker family to instruct at Mr. Parker's school for the West Coast IKK Instructors Camp. Um, I had um, got to know a young lady through the internet who was interested in Kempo, who lived out in Bakersfield, California. So um, one of the things I wanted to do besides teach, I wanted to meet David German. So I contacted him, and he was kind of taken aback. He was kind of like, who are you? You want, to, you, want to, you want to work with me? Huh? <laughs> yeah, who are you and why are you contacting me? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I show up at his studio, and again, suspect and prospect. Now, before that, a gentleman that many people know in the, in the temple, Ron Sanchez, who at one point was the head, was the head or, or, or very much involved in the LAPD SWAT team and was also a Thai black belt from Jim Eliason, contacts me via online because I mentioned I'm going to tra- go, go work with Mr. German and meet him and get to work with him. And he goes, Joe, you better be careful. And I did get serious. I'm like, why? He goes, Joe, if David German didn't like you, if you were black belt walked in school and you caught an attitude, he would choke you out and drag your unconscious body out in front of the, the mall where he used to teach and leave you there. And I'm like, but Ron, I'm happy to see him. I really want to go meet him. I'm not going to be a jerk about it. Are you crazy? You know, I'm really psyched about this. So I finally got to meet him. And I went out to a school in Covina, California, which is in a, was in a little strip mall right next to Trader Joe's. And I got to meet David German. And David German is the, and at one point, um, um, uh, James Holzer, uh, 1985, in Inside Kung Fu magazine, dubbed him the eclectic heretic. He hated that term, but in a lot of ways, it was kind of right. And um, it was really funny because, you know, when I finally got to meet him and, you know, I was talking to him and he was like, and I brought all the articles. I brought them all in a binder. He was like, you really, you really, really wanted to meet? And it's, he's kind of, now he's kind of, and I'm smiling now. He's like, wow, you really, I mean, you, I mean, and I've never been to New England. And I said, and I, I was like, I know I'd have been there if you had been, you know, <laughs> I would have found out some way. So we started a friendship and I started to learn Thai and started to learn David German's mindset and, and, and how David had trained with Mr. Parker and with uh, Al, Al um, Thomas and, and Budo Jiu Jitsu. And they would brainstorm off each other. They would pick his brain. Cause he was just a teenager back then. And he'd say, what else, what else Thomas teach you today? He said, oh my God. And he'd either make a counter to it or incorporate it. Same thing with Al Thomas. What did Parker teach you today? If you ever watched the world of martial arts with Al Thomas, you'll watch, and at one point, you'll see Al Thomas do five swords. Well, he does five swords because David German taught him to him. And they would brainstorm off each other. So, And David German was the, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but he opened up the first two Ed Parker franchises in Las Vegas back in 1961, the year I was born, by the way. <laughs> and, um, yeah, he was a young teenager and, and, um, 
there's a really some a really interesting story about David Dermody. One day we were going, we talked about long form. Tino Tino Sega came up, founder of Lima Lama. He goes, yeah, I taught Tino form four. I was like, excuse me, I taught Tino form four. I gotta hear this one. He was like, yeah, we got Mr. Parker's studio. I'd learned the form, and Tino hadn't learned it yet. And so Mr. Parker said to me, you know, teach Tino form four. I was like, that's just cool. (laughs) That's just cool. Uh, Because, you know, I just watched. Yeah. You know, I mean, stuff like that. And, you know, I mean, I got to train with the men who gave Ed Parker and Elvis. I got to train with the men who gave Elvis Presley and Wayne Newton their black belts. And, you know, to, to work, to, to work with Mr. With Mr. Parker and Mr. German and the lot worked with Mr. German because he really thought outside the box. He made me look at things differently. He'd make me, he'd make me look at techniques that were established tempo techniques and, and look at them in a different manner, in a different fashion. And, and we were doing short form three and he did it as an Aikido throw against a two hand wrist grab from the rear. We have technique, um, um, if you do the Parker system, it's called destructive twins. If you do the Tracy system, it's called striking, um, uh, two headed serpent. Um, if you do Aikido, it's against, uh, Ushiro Katate Kotedori. Um, and, and so he did it instead of punching a guy who's choking you in the front, it's a guy in the sky grabbing your wrist from behind and you're dropping to a knee and throwing him. And then in mid air, you're hitting him with the double block with the inward block and outward block to the side of his head. And driving him away with with a with a push in mid air with the poke that you originally did to the guy in front of you in the eye. And I'm going, wow, never even contemplated that. And that and that's the joy of working with David German and the way the way he thought and the way he would infuse. And I'll tell you straight out, no one, quote unquote, no one I have ever met does a smooth transition from Kenpo into the jujitsu and grappling arts as David German. Nobody. And that's not an aspersion against other individuals who have incorporated Brazilian jujitsu into their tempo and whatnot, and that's all cool. But no, I haven't seen anybody do it to the level of David German. Nobody. And that's what makes it great. That's what makes Thai Thai. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's at Barker's Kempo. It's, it's, uh, it's Budo Jiu-Jitsu. It's uh, White Tiger Kung Fu. They learn from uh, um, uh, Wei Feng Du or Du Wei. Um, through people like Parker Linekin and, and, and Brian Adams and and getting history from these men and learning how their thought processes work. But it runs the gamut. I mean, from Mr. Parker's system to David German's system to Sonny Gascon's Katazempo Goshen Jitsu, which is the mother art for what we know as the New England-based system of Kempo, or Shaolin Kempo, with an M from Fred Valari. If you're doing... Um, one through five, one or one through six kata, or one through six Chinese form, or whatever you want to call it in your particular discipline from that orientation, you're doing Karazempo Goshen Jitsu. If you're doing numbered combinations, you're doing Karazempo Goshen Jitsu. They may not be in the same numbered numerical numbering system, but it's it's Sonny Gascon's art. And have met with him and had the honor and privilege of working with him and being recognized by him meant the world to me. And, uh, you know, and it, it runs the gamut. I mean, I'm always learning. I'm learning. I'm working on uh, uh, Shikichi Odo's Okinawan Kenpo and working on that. And uh, um, I studied Okinawan Kenpo through uh, Carlos Febrez, through Nindoru, the Nindoru organization, as well as Kobujitsu. Um, you know, the Wutan curriculum. You know, I still do Mantis and Kung Fu and Tai Chi. And um, I, I'm a weapons fanatic. I teach 65 different weapons. 
You know, someone asked me the other day, you know, how do you do all this stuff? I said, simple. I have a 162 IQ, photographic memory, and I don't have a life. Oh, your life is martial arts. Darn skippy. And most people don't believe that. You know, the, there's a great story, Rich Hale, when Rich Hale finally got to meet me and come down here, and he's like going, I, I had a bag of, I had a box of belts, a box of different ranks of black belts, and he goes, Joe, um, out of curiosity, yeah? You weren't all these? Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. I just blew, can I take a picture? <laughs> like, <it's> like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I went, wait, wait. <laughs> Dude, why do you want to take a picture of my body? I just can't. I just can't get over. I just it was like it was like I can't fathom that. I can't get around that. My head around that. That's just you know. I go. I go. You know. I've I've learned one phrase to say over the many years. Like I said, it'll be fifty years into martial arts uh, this October. I'm the exception, not the rule. And that's the key. I'm not the average person. Ed Parker wasn't. David German wasn't. You know, they weren't the, Al Tracy wasn't, they weren't the average people. If they were, the classic phrase from the Huck Plantis, guy walks into his office and says, you know, Ms. Plantis, how long does it take the average person to become a black belt? The average person doesn't become a black belt. That's right. You know, you know, a- average is settling, is, is settling for mediocrity. You know, I definitely have never settled for mediocrity. And there are people who don't believe I do what I do and people don't believe. And that's why I do, as you know, all my videos on YouTube. And when someone asks a question on a Facebook message board, I put it out there and I respond to it. And some people sometimes say, well, you didn't respond to the question, but boy, it was a great video. There's so many naysayers about- out there though. And you know what? I don't care. I don't have time for them anyways. This ain't for you. <laughs> no. You know what? I, I always say when you get stuff like that happening, the coolest part of it all is you get to do the two things you can't do during sex point and laugh. <laughs> and somebody out there is going, boy, ain't that the truth? <laughs> but but yeah, yeah, that's what I do. I, I mean, and if you watch my videos, anyone who watches my videos, uh, for the listeners on our podcast who may not be familiar with me, um, I'm, a, I'm a frustrated stand up comedian. I'm always cracking jokes, I'm always having fun in my videos. Uh, I'm always passing along information that people may or may not know, um, you know, and I can make occasional mistakes. I'm only human. Oh, well. And if someone brings that mistake to my approach, I go, okay, I'll make a new video. Whoop, there you go. Addressing it, talking about it. Um, you know, I, I sit there and say, I'm only so many billion heartbeats and then I'm warm food. So you may How as much well have time fun. do I have left, Steve? You know, I mean, Mr. Parker died at 59. David German died at 65. And when I go down the laundry list of different systems, Buckling Pai Kempo, um, I, I worked on that with uh, Grandmaster Bill Gregory, who's one of the three people ever promoted to the rank of seventh degree or seventh level black sash under Daniel Pai. Um, you know, uh, you work with these different individuals, and he died at 70 in cancer. We see people uh, look, at, look at Bob White and the struggles he's going through with cancer. Look at, look at the struggles that Frank Trejo's going through with diabetes. You know, we're human. How long we got? I'm 56 years old. I'll be 57 in October. I don't know how much time I got left. So it's all the more reason that I want to teach people and add and you know, pass that knowledge along. You know, somebody asked me the uh, asked me why the day on on uh, they asked me uh, what's it take to be a grandmaster. I looked at them and said, "Your instructors die." 
And it really took him aback. He was really shocked by that, but it was true. You know, I mean, you never think you're going to be the master. You never think you're going to be a grandmaster. You never think you're going to be wearing that many stripes on your belt or a different. You know, and I love people, you know, the, the big, those big thing I need to just the right thing. And I go, dude, look, with, with all due respect, I'm not waving my belt like my penis saying, put another stripe on this like a condom. And maybe a little blue for some people, but, you know, it's not about that. You know, and Al Tracy had a great phrase for me. He sat there and said, Joseph, do you know what it takes to be a master? I said, I gave a couple of, you know, different, and he says, Joseph, you know, you're a master when the masters invite you to the table. I love that. that and they're only going to, and the last part was, and they're only going to invite you once. Well, you know, I've lucked out, Steve. They've done it a few times now, you know, <laughs> because I'm not looking for it. I'm not running around saying, oh, we please put me to do it. No, I'm just, you know, I'm just busy being me. You know, the phrase from Gene Kelly, don't you ever get, you know, Mr. Han, do you ever, do you ever worry about being defeated? Nah, man. Well, why not? <laughs> I'm too busy looking good. You know, <laughs> I'm just too busy learning. So they, for me, that's what mine is. I'm too busy learning. I'm too busy growing. And, you know, and also I'm too busy recognizing the people who have got new ideas and new ways of thinking about tempo and different martial arts and saying, hey, what you do is cool. And when they say, wow, man, someone like you saying that, I'm like, just me. You know, but I'm saying what you do has merit. Um, when I work and I'm looking at my, when I look at people and, you know, uh, Professor Kimo Ferreira and the Kempo Jitsu Kai and, you know, testing in front of him and knowing him since 2000 and watching, you know, he's a direct student of Walter Godin. You know, you know, I look at George Elmer with Chinese whole, uh, American Kempo and a lot of people like him or not like him or whatever. You know, we all have haters. But, you know, I like the way he moves and certain things he, and things he does in his system. If I didn't, he wouldn't have made me his technical advisor. I enjoy what he does. You know, I look at people, you know, I look at pictures of Professor Chow and having worked with Bill Mossarelli and, you know, found out about the Kashi system of Kempo. The other person who went to train with Professor Chow with Nick Serio. You know, uh, you know, and just different people, like said Carlos Cervez from Nindo Ru and learning, you know, Japanese and Okinawan martial arts from him and his orientation and his organization. You know, I just, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm just lucky and very fortunate and very blessed. And, um, I just want to share the wealth, man. That's what it's all about. That's the bottom line. You know, the big phrase is how can I help you? That's the best customer service. That's, That's the, key. the same philosophy that drove the creation of this podcast. There you go. Yeah, let's, right? let's bring people's positivity to the world. There you go. Like I said, you know, I mean, Ed Parker told me a great phrase. Joseph, let a smile and a handshake become your best friends. And, you know, I think about Mr. Parker and, you know, Ed Parker was a genuinely nice person. He was just a wonderful human being. And you know, all these different instructors that I got to meet with, I and train with and study with, I sit there and I say, you know, I'm so blessed, I'm so fortunate. You know, I always I say, you know, some of the deadliest people that I ever worked with on the planet were also some of the nicest. And if we can follow that, you know, we'll finish real quick. I'm looking at the time. Chuck Sullivan. First time I ever met Chuck Sullivan. Um, I was at Ed Parker Jr.'s house in Pasadena. And he says, look, I have to, look, I've, I've got a meeting. I've got to let you go. I mean, you know, you can say it. I said, and I just like, where are you going? Oh, I've got to go meet with uh, Chuck Sullivan and Vic LaRue. Oh, I've never met him. Can I go? <laughs> and I was like, eh. Yeah, sure. Come on. So uh, 
I get there, and um, they're both sitting down with Frank Trejo. And they're sitting in front of a little monitor, and they're watching footage from Mr. Parker's tour of Chile that he did with Mr. Trejo, and he also did with uh, Eric Lee and Tadashi Yamashita in Chile. So what's great is they're having Frank do a narration of the footage, and that thing's got to see the light of day someday, really. I mean, all the... Now, you know, I mean, many years later, but really, I'm really hoping and praying that someday they, they release that in some way, shape, or form. It needs I'm making done. a note to ask about that. Yep. So, um, so anyway, so uh, um, we sit down afterwards, and I said, look, I've got my camera equipment with me. Can I, can I record interviews with you two gentlemen? So um, we did one with Vic, and then we did one with Chuck. And it worked out great because it, it had the blue background. It had that blue background that they used to have with the picture of Mr. Parker and the picture of Elvis and that at Vic's house. So we do the interviews, and then afterwards, Chuck walks off to Ed, walks up to Edmund, and I go, just he was changing mugs. I, yeah, I was in the bathroom, or whatever. He goes to Edmund, who is this guy? And again, the classic phrase is, "How does he know so much about me? Why does he know so much about me?" <laughs> And he told me the story. I, I just roared, man. Yeah, and that, and and that really that's been that's been so many times. Um, for those of you, for those listeners who enjoy this podcast, um, go back on uh, talkradio.com, and I hope if you don't mind me giving a, a no. selfish plug, plug it. Um, go ahead. I also I, I also work for Al, Al um, Alan Gold or Alan Goldberg, who uh, runs the uh, Action Martial Arts Mega Weekend. Um, at one point, he had a podcast with uh, Luis Velasquez um, called the. Uh, Action Martial Arts Magazine Power Hour. And a um, little funny story where um, um, he had Martin Cove, Crease uh, from The Karate Kid, uh, on as a guest. So um, I had a question because I had interviewed Pat Johnson, and Pat Johnson told this great story about how he had trained the various actors for The Karate Kid film and how he had trained Pat Morita and, and Ralph Macchio together so they would build out that camaraderie with one another. He trained all the kids from the Cobra Kai together so they would build up their camaraderie and relationship to their role in the films. He taught Martin Creek, he taught Martin Cove separately, individually, by himself. And the first time he had him meet the actors that were portraying the kids in the Cobra Kai, he had him walk in a black gi and a black belt. So they already associated him with being a black belt. They didn't know that he really wasn't. But they already associated him with that authority figure and the respect that they had. And, you know, Chad McQueen and Billy Zob, they were, all, they were already lifelong martial arts since they were kids. You know, so they were already martial artists. It was a great story, and I really liked it. So I wanted to ask him about the story. So I called so call the show, and uh, Louis Vasquez doesn't know who I am from a hole in the wall. I know should he at that time. So uh, he says, um, we've got this guy from New Bedford, uh, Joe Ribello. And now I had interviewed Alan Goldberg 13 years before that at the Rhode Island, uh, uh, Ocean State Grand National Karate Championships. And I had mentioned how he was associated with the original Guardian Angels before they were Guardian Angels with uh, Jason Lau. I also mentioned how he was on a particular show, and it was Montel Williams' show out of New York, and how he had confronted a particular instructor that was doing a women's self-defense seminar and questioned his credentials as an instructor of women's self-defense. He didn't challenge a guy to a fight, but that, that was still unheard of at the time. And he looked at me, he was like, you remember that? <laughs> How did you see that? WPIX, man. We get that in my area. You saw that? And it, he, so we get to the show, and suddenly Alan Goldberg says, the one thing you never say in a podcast or any form of media, stop the show. And I'm sure Lewis must have had a brain aneurysm when he said that. 
And he said, but then he says, look, Myron, I want to tell you about this guy. And he regaled him with the story and how we had met. He said, this guy's going to know stuff about you that nobody's going to know. He's going to remember things. And it's going to, so I'm thinking, gee, thanks, Al, no pressure. You know? <laughs> so I asked him the story. And of course, Martin, he had a wonderful dissertation about it and wonderful stories about it. It was great. So after the show's done, I get a personal message on Facebook. Whoop, want a job? Nice. So I became the co-host. And at least on half a dozen occasions in my tenure as a co-host, Alan Goldberg, after the show, would have those guests call him back again after the show and go, who is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> and the shows have been great. And if you get a chance, to, uh, ladies and gentlemen who are listening, please check out some of the episodes. Uh, Tayati Cassell is a great show. But I mean, check, just check it out. But uh, again, I want to thank you. I want to thank you, Steve, for starting this program up. I want to thank you for starting this podcast up. I want to thank you for, for wanting to educate the general public and the martial arts public and the Kempo public specifically. But, you know, we need more of this. We need more documentation of the history. We need more documentation of these different individuals. Because every time one of them passed, you know, there was an there was a African phrase I heard once of uh, – Respect your elders and listen to every story. For when they die, a library has burned to the ground. And it was like, wow. I think of all the Ed Parker stories, David German. And now think of all the Chuck Sullivan stories. And that's why dinner with Chuck is such a great thing. You know, we talk about Dominic. Dominic Dominic is, is normal, is no, as, as can, 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 can be Dominic during those shows. But he, gave, he has given me recently the greatest compliments about my career and what I do, and I am honored and privileged to be thought of that way. And it was very important to me that when I got to work with Chuck Sullivan recently in Rhode Island, thank God for Dave Dick Gigliotti, but simply stated, to be able to show that man that I knew his art and that I could perform all 55 techniques and that I knew the master form and now when I looked at him afterwards, I said, well, Chuck, do I know your material? And he looked at me. <laughs> you know how Chuck, he looks down and he just shakes his head. He's like, yeah, Joe, you do. <laughs> and he just, Chuck's a wonderful and he was guy. Like, and I, yeah, he is. And he just said, and basically just said to me, just send in the video, man. Yeah, yeah I know you do it. <laughs> you know? And, um, you know, I really have to thank Mr. Gigliotti for that and getting to meet so many of the, of the, of the senior council of the, the IKCA and let them know. And that way they could know, okay, you know what? You know, Kenpo Joe is Kenpo Joe, you know? And if, and you know, I'm not sitting there and just giving lip service to it, but I can perform that material and I can cross reference to Ed Parker's Kenpo and other arts and transfer and say, you know, it's just the way my mind works. And uh, it, it was funny because actually at a couple of points, he was mentioned technique. Oh, no, Chuck, that's the, that's the Parker version of it. And we were talking about, he goes, yeah, you're right. And I'm going, Told you I knew it. <laughs> you know, told you I took the time, and uh, just wanted to, wanted to show them and, and and prove to them and let them know. And I really, my my goal really was to test in front of him. I really wanted to do that, but it just wasn't possible, sad to say. But at least he knows, and they know, and those and you know everybody on down that sit at that table at dinner with Chuck knows because they've seen me do the techniques and do free form with it and improv and you know let's rock, baby. You know I'm here to hit people and I'm here to hit people hit me. Let's go. So you can send in that video? Greetings. Uh, I'm going to. I'm going to probably do it probably later on this year. I'm just trying to get stuff done. I mean, you know, with Mr. Tracy passing away, I got to got to make arrangements to go to the event. You know, um, actually, honestly, truth be told, 
I didn't know how much it was. <laughs> you know, I didn't. Have, I just, I didn't have. You know, I, if I had known in advance what was the cost of it, I'd have done it. But I'm going to do the video. Yeah, it'll be. And it's funny because I think some people, when they heard, well, it's going to be black belt number twenty. And I think some people just thought I was just trying to get a belt just to get a belt. No, man, I don't do that. If I test, I can do it because I could do the material. I could do the format, and I can, I can, and I can go over it on a black belt level. And that's the key. And it's funny because um, originally the bylaws, you know, it's the last thing we'll finish with, I know with the time. Um, in the bylaws, originally, there was a listing that if you were a first-generation black belt, well, not first-generation black belt, but if you had tested through the IKK for black, for black belt in front of Ed Parker, and I did it with my second in 1989, um, and you could perform the master form, you could test for your black belt through the IKCA. And I mentioned that on a dinner with Chuck, and he was like, wow. Then people ask about that before in a long time. Yeah, I guess so. And, um, but I wanted to be able to show him personally, to be able to say, you asked Chuck Sullivan, hey, Joe Bell's no doubt, no material? Yeah, he did it right in front of me. You well, know? The good news and is if you send it in, he'll grade it anyway. So, Right, exactly. But, but it meant so much more that I could perform it in front of him. Yep. That it was right there. You know, Ed Parker says, to hear is the doubt, to see is to be deceived, to feel is to believe. You know, I want people to, I want people to know. I want people to, to believe because they see me doing it. And they put in like the videos and everything else. It's real tough to say I don't know it when I perform it. It's real tough to say, oh, I don't know that system when I can perform it and do videos on it and detail it out on an expert level. It's a little difficult to say, well, he doesn't know it. Well, how do you put up the video? You know, <laughs> look at it. It's accurate. It's correct. It's right. You know, and he's giving us information I didn't even know about. That's what makes it all worthwhile. So Love the great it. man once said, Steve, I talk too much. I never shut up. So... <laughs> No, I've, this has I been a great discussion you. with you, man. I really appreciate being on here again. And I'm sorry we had to come back for the technical difficulties piece, but, you know, it's been another great conversation. So, And honestly, you got more stuff about Mr. Parker this time around and different things. So, you know, that that's the beauty of it. Works for me. So knowing that our listening audience, uh, at the time we are recording this, which is uh, January of 2018, uh, we have aired six episodes so far. Uh, this one's probably going to come out in middle to late February. But... We have hit 20 countries with six episodes. I am blown away by how fast this thing has gone around the world. So knowing now that we have a worldwide audience, Joe, what words of wisdom would you like to send out to everybody out there listening on, you know, perseverance or or sticking with what your goals are and all that kind of stuff? What's been the biggest keys that you can share for everybody? Okay, I'm going to process this with a short story only because of what you just said. I was at the International Karate Championships in 2009. Two gentlemen, Dmitry, I believe, and Petrov, um, who trained with Professor Raffaello in, in, in Russia, approached me, and they salute me. Kempo Joe, how are you, sir? You know, we watch you on YouTube. Oh, you, you watch it out of your home? No, we watch it at school. So I'm thinking, oh, okay, you go to high school or college, and you watch it on the terminal. State. Goes, no, okay, so now I'm confused. And they informed me that their instructor, Professor Raffaello, who has a YouTube channel, by the way, um, has a, like a 60-inch TV in his studio in St. Petersburg, and he has it attached to the Internet. And they pull up my videos on YouTube, and they have the Petrov with Dmitry translate it into Russian for topics on the class. That's and great. that blew me away. 
that people all over, and that would get, and I got similar stories from people in South America that the internationals and all this, and I'm like going, who thought? You never know, and again, like this podcast, you never know who you're going to influence. You never know who's going to listen to it. You never know who's going to enjoy it and appreciate it, and that's the beauty of the art. So uh, if you folks want to contact me, I am Joe Ribello. A lot of people know me as Kenpo Joe. Um, my studio is Ribello's Kenpo Karate. Uh, you can check us out on Facebook and Rebello's Campbell Karate, or myself, Joseph Rebello, R-E-B-E-L-O. I'm a rebel and an O. On the L's, it's one, not two, not two, but one. I'm too poor to afford two L's. Uh, again, uh, we also are going to reactivate the website, which will be kentojo.com. That'll happen shortly. Uh, again, you can also check us out on YouTube. On YouTube, I'm listed as kentojoe1, number one, um, uh, on YouTube. We have over 130 videos right now. Check out Martial Arts Today TV as well as Rebellos Kempo Karate television program on YouTube. And you can also check us out through the City of New Bedford's website and the New Bedford Cable Network uh, website seeing us live on streaming video. But again, YouTube's got extra footage exclusive to YouTube, so check that out. And that being said, there we go. And as, uh, as I always say, greetings from the land of beatings. Thank you very much for being on the show, Joe. This has been a blast. Thank you. Oh, by the way, Kenpo Joe at AOL.com. Got to, got to throw in that email, Kenpo Joe at AOL.com. There you go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Thank that you, is sir. that's done for this episode. Had a great time talking to you, Joe. I appreciate it. We'll probably have you back again at some point. Fantastic. Great to hear it. And All thank right, you buddy. very much for the time. Have a good one. Be good. Keep training. Likewise. Talk to you later. You bet. Be good. We'll see you. Bye-bye. That was a great chat with Joe. Again, I'm thankful he's such a great person and was willing to get back online with me and re-record this one since we had technical difficulties the first time around. It was great stories of New England martial arts and his career spanning the last four decades. Uh, actually, almost five. He's a walking encyclopedia of martial arts, folks. Look him up on Facebook, or if you're in the area, drop him a line. You'll enjoy the experience, I promise. Lucky episode 13 up next week. Uh, Master Alejandro Mora of the Salinas Taekwondo Academy. I met him in 1999, and we've been friends ever since. He's been the owner and the head instructor of the Salinas Taekwondo Academy since 1998, and he's one of the most positive people I've ever met. I got to hear about how he got his start in his hometown in Mexico and how he wound up getting to compete in national competitions, working with Olympic-class competitors and his favorite parts of teaching. He's truly a wonderful human being, and I'm proud to call him a brother, a mentor, and a teacher. Tune in next week for episode number 13. Find us at artistemotion.com artistemotion.com slash iTunes cheap plug leave us a rating and a comment or two artistemotion.com slash Google Play again leave us a rating and a comment or two our Facebook page Artist of Motion you can email pod at artistemotion.com and that's all for this week I'm Steve Zalazowski catch you next time on the Artist of Motion podcast <laughs>